0: I'm Lauren, and I'm a veterinarian. I'm JJ, and I'm a veterinary technician. And you're listening to IntroVets, a veterinary podcast by introverts with high-functioning anxiety. Welcome, everybody, to IntroVets Podcast.
1: It never ceases to make you laugh, does it?
0: We're back with Dr. Sarah LaRoche. She was on the podcast last week talking about some cool pathology cases, but uh, we have her back again this week to talk about mental health and veterinary school, and sort of you know her experiences as a, as a veterinary student, as a general practice vet, and then now as a, as a as a resident in in clinical pathology, and sort of how her mental health journey has evolved over that time. Dr. LaRoche, welcome back to the podcast.
2: Thank you
1: for having me again. We like you. Cool. (laughs) I like you guys too. (laughs) So last week, we kind of started getting a little bit on the topic of the struggles of of vet school for you and and some mental health issues that you may have experienced during that time. So we're going to talk a little bit more about that today, but I kind of want to get to the beginning of things. Uh, So you and I know each other from working Together previously at a uh, general practice in town. You know, I remember that you were the hardest little worker. You were always busy doing something. I was like, there goes Sarah. She's flying down the hallway. There goes Sarah. She's <laughs> bringing a dog up front. There goes Sarah. <laughs> right the the- she was constantly on the go. And I'm like, she is, she is a busy little bee. You know, I know we had some conversations, but I don't know that I ever talked to you exactly like why you were interested in veterinary medicine and why you wanted to be a veterinarian you
2: know i had a lot of clients ask me this when i was in practice and the i guess the short way of saying it was it, it just felt right so we had two outside dogs growing up they were exclusively outdoors but we had a nice setup for them on the porch and uh it was, you know fans in the summer and heaters in the winter and i would go out and play with them all the time as a little kid you know i kind of grew up with them. When I was 10, both of them passed away within a couple months of each other. Priscilla was this kind of medium, pointing, mixed breed dog. She died at about 14 years of age. And, and Zeker, his name was Ezekiel, but the little kids can't say Ezekiel. So he ended up just learning Zeke. He got euthanized. And I just remember with Priscilla, she wasn't feeling well and... We didn't take her to the emergency clinic that Saturday. And we ended up waiting until Monday to take her to the hospital. And I remember sitting outside with her. She really didn't want to move. And I just felt helpless. I I really wanted to at least be able to do something for her. And around that time, I was starting to think, you know, maybe I want to be a veterinarian when I grow up. And she she ended up dying in the hospital. Um, we never figured out why. Is had an oral mass that shortly after Priscilla died started to get quite large. Mm -hmm. And one night I heard him cry um, shortly after I put the food out there and there was a lot of blood around his food bowl um, and the mass had ruptured. And I remember looking my mom in the eye and saying, we're going to the emergency vet. And when we got there, they didn't want to euthanize him with me in the room. And so my parents waited until I was at school the next day to do it. And I was a little upset about that, but I, that was really what solidified, you know, I I want to be able to do something for animals that are suffering, you know, at least be able to alleviate their pain. So that's what really got me into the
1: veterinary profession. Yeah, I feel like that's um, a pretty common thing. I mm-hmm. feel like a, I know we've talked about it, almost be like a calling. I had something similar. I had a cat that was mostly, he was indoor-outdoor, but he was notorious for getting into fights and he would constantly be getting abscesses. And he was, you know, my parents had taken him to the vet for one of them and they're like, this is ridiculously expensive. He'll probably be fine. We don't have to keep doing this. So if he would get one, I didn't, you know, want him to have to deal with an infection for a long period of time. So I would try to clean it at home. I made my own homemade e-collar out of a paper plate. I cut a hole out of the center of and put it on him. And I was ridiculous, but I was like, I just felt the same feeling, that kind of helpless feeling of like, I want to do something to help him because my parents are doing it. And I, and I you know, it's it I I totally understand that feeling of just like, you know, they can't help themselves. They can't tell you, you know, what's wrong. Gotta try to jump in there and help them where you can.
0: I think that that's so, you know, like weirdly beautiful, you know, that you experienced the loss of these two pets. And then, you know, the good that came out of that, though, was you going to veterinary school.
2: So I I, I actually struggled quite a bit in vet school. I mean, I went to the same college for you know, the same university for undergraduate. So I was used to kind of the environment. But for whatever reason, my my method of studying just wasn't cutting it anymore. And a lot of my health problems started to rear their ugly head. I, I have psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis, and I actually, it got so bad to the point on my lower back that I could not sit down without my skin actually tearing open. Mm. Um, yeah. And, you know, being the stressed blob that I was, I, I, I really delayed going to see the doctor about that. And I yeah. ended up getting put on special psoriasis medication, which makes life bearable all those health issues with the allergies and the psoriasis and the anxiety. I really struggled with anxiety in vet school and I didn't really start to notice it until probably the end of my first year. I went to the counselor that we had. There was a counselor specifically designated for just the vet school. And we really focused more on my insomnia at the time Mm -hmm. because I was not sleeping well and I didn't really open up to her about all my other issues. I did get put on some medication, but I didn't react to it very well. So I just dealt with it. A bad idea. Do not recommend.
0: Um, Second, don't. Do not recommend. (laughs) White knuckling it. No. No. Stop it.
2: (laughs) So, you know, wasn't really sure what I wanted to do with my life. And I started getting pretty depressed in clinics because things just weren't coming together the way I had hoped they would. And I was actually one of the people, you know, coming up the end of April of my fourth year that didn't have a job lined up. And, you know, I was getting all these frantic emails from everybody like this place is hiring this place specifically wants an Auburn vet, you know, number one, they want me to have some kind of job coming out. And number two, they want their job placement to look good. And a couple of the places that I had interviewed at one place didn't hire me, which was fine. The other place, I didn't really feel like I was a good match for them. Even though they offered me the job, those were both mixed animal practices where it would be probably about 50% dairy, 50% small animal, which is what I really wanted to do. And then I had a phone interview with a very charismatic clinic owner um, in Las Vegas, and uh, (laughs) he ended up being my boss for three years. But yeah, It just didn't work out the way I thought it would, and I never really dealt with that anxiety until... My second year of practice. So that is, again, zero out of 10, do not recommend. <laughs> <Garden>. <laughs> One of probably my misconceptions going into vet school was that once I graduated, I was going to have all the answers and everything was going to be black and white. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is something that I noticed that a lot of students feel, you know, when they come onto our cytology rotations, their fourth year. And they're like, "What do you mean? You don't know if that's a macrophage or not?" And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> "You're gonna sometimes you that. don't know. A lot of this is just winging it." So, you know, i I felt that anxiety in clinics that I didn't know all the answers, and I felt that anxiety when I first started practice that I didn't know all the answers, and it eventually got to the point where I got very comfortable sitting down with the clients and saying, "I don't know what's going on. I think we should run some tests." you know and that's that's so important to communicate you know it's not you really don't want to fake it till you make it (laughs) um i i you know i was always very very honest with clients and you know that honesty got me some really good reviews like there was this one scenario where this dog had kind of borderline glaucoma the ocular pressures were just a little bit high but not really high enough for me you know I didn't really know what to do. And I said, give me half an hour. I'm going to call the ophthalmologist. And they wrote me this glowing review. You know, Dr. LaRoche took time out of her day to call the specialist and make sure she was doing what she was supposed to do. Mm You know, So, you know, it's it's okay if you don't have all the answers, because a lot of times you don't. But consulting with other people and, you know, not feeling like you're alone, I felt like was very important for me. And that um, was another thing. The uh, clinic that I practice at was AHA accredited. D. Mm-hmm. And they have apparently this mentorship protocol, which was very nice. Basically what it boiled down to was <laughs> every Saturday morning at 6am, because uh, at the time I was still a morning person and my boss was, <laughs> uh, <laughs> we would go... To a breakfast restaurant, and he would have all of my soaps printed out, and he had gone through them and said, "You should have done this. You need to do this. You missed an opportunity here. You did good with this. I would have done this." You know, and with my raging anxiety at the time, I had this beautiful breakfast in front of me, and I could not bring myself to eat it. I just sunk into my chair, like, oh. <laughs> but ultimately, it made me a, a better veterinarian. Yeah. Um, uh, to have that very, you know, kind of free reign while I was practicing, but then sitting back, sitting down and saying, Hey, let's back up and take a look at what you did here. Maybe yeah. how we could have changed it.
0: And you then, you were having rounds. Yes. But you're having in a way. Yeah. I mean, you know,
2: <laughs> 6 a.m. Saturday morning rounds.
0: <laughs> what I'll say is I've worked for a few aha practices. That is not an aha uh, thing necessarily. <laughs> that is a, that practice thing. But it would be, um, A great way to have structured mentorship Mm because i think a lot of times people are like uh yeah yeah we we offer mentorship and it's this kind of like vague statement and there's no Mm follow-through but in that i mean you got a solid plan like Mm -hmm. we are meeting here is the time i'm buying you breakfast or whatever and we are gonna Mm -hmm. go through your cases for the week and everything i think Mm -hmm. i think that's great Mm -hmm. there are a lot of people that might find that a little bit too stressful nerve-wracking and that kind of thing <laughs> but as you said like there's only you can only get better one way and that's by having experience so mm-hmm. like you know I think that's a great plan
1: yeah I would find that feedback super valuable cause yeah mm-hmm. a lot of times sometimes you know, I find myself in the middle of doing something like you know I'm not really sure if I'm doing this the right way. I know there's more than one right way, but is this the most efficient way? Mm-hmm. And you don't always get that feedback or you're just kind of like, you know, lying in the breeze and hoping you don't <laughs> get dislodged from the flagpole. But yeah. having somebody give you that feedback and that, that instruction, I think, would be, I would find it super helpful.
0: Stressful, I would too. Yeah. I mean, it, it it's always scary. When someone is going to sit down and critique work that you've done, where you're like, Mm -hmm. I really tried the hardest I could. But like, I prefer a direct approach to indirect whispering about what the vet should have done, but no one actually tells them. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, like, and I've encountered this a lot and it drives me crazy. It's like passive aggressive. Yeah. But I mean, I don't think they're meaning to be passive aggressive. They're thinking, I don't want to start a lot of drama by directly saying, hey, you know, I know you did the best you could on that case. And there are some things about it that I would change if I were you. Let me talk with you about it. Instead of doing that, they're like, well, I don't want them to think that I'm dictating how they practice or anything or we believe in everyone doing their own thing and stuff. But like the everyone doing their own thing approach, like a lot of times isn't the best for patient care. (laughs) What I've seen happen is, say, you notice a practitioner make a mistake or you think about it and you're like, gosh, like, probably we should have approached that differently. And then instead of telling the practitioner directly, you tell a nurse, you Mm -hmm. tell your technician, you tell your assistant, you tell your office manager. Maybe it's a technical staff that's noticed like this doctor didn't do this and probably we should have done that. So they kind of are all whispering about it but no one is like hey hey you forgot this step you know like
1: all the start more drama so fast because yeah you may get a hold of somebody who's like oh she don't like her because she thinks she should have done this that means she's not a good doctor i'm gonna go tell everybody else in the clinic she ain't a good doctor and then you know because god knows i've heard that a million times right
0: Right. So I, I love this. I think that's a great plan. Mm-hmm, like yeah. let's just have a fucking meeting about it. Like this just this past weekend I was working at, at a place and I ordered a specific medication and the technician came up to me and said, Hey, um, I did this instead. Is that okay? And I looked at everything and I was like, Yeah, tell me why you did that. And she was like, Well, when I work with this specialist in this situation we do it this way now. And I'm like, great, let's do it that way. Thank you so much for telling me, you know, like, th- yes, thank you. Because what I wouldn't have wanted to do is use like a old timey dose or of whatever medicine and stuff and then be like, oh, they don't know what they're talking about. And it's like, mm-hmm. no, nah,
2: just tell me, man. <laughs> you yeah, know, that's why they make us do CE so often, continuing sure. education, because shit uh, changes. 50% of what you learn is going to be wrong in 20 years so That's true
0: yeah <laughs> I mean it it will be and sometimes like some other things like I was just thinking about like the way we manage diabetic cats and dogs mm-hmm. just since I've been out of vet school things have changed so much like three or four major times now everything's wearing a a freestyle libre CJ, cgm you know and I'm like what sort of witchcraft is this you know like like it was unthinkable when i was in veterinary school that you would have a magic wand you can wave over it and get what the blood sugar is
2: like holy crap and pain management too that's yeah in the past 50 years we've gone from basically no pain management to yeah they they feel great they do yeah, yeah. and thank goodness yeah thank goodness yeah. mm-hmm
0: well, so we kind of got a little bit on a sidetrack, but trying to bring us back around, we were talking about kind of your experiences in vet school, and we had kind of moved into you know after after you'd graduated and, and everything. It sounds like um, having that meeting was something that you really valued.
2: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Were there other things about being a general practice vet that were less valuable to you, <laughs> or, that were less <laughs> rewarding to you?
2: <laughs> um. I think I overextended myself quite a bit. Okay, I, you know, I always took all the walk-ins, all the emergencies. And well, not all of them, but you know, felt like it.
0: Like most people, of them,
2: yeah. Yeah. People would just play chicken over the, the walk-in that came in for a ear infection. I'm like, whatever, let's just get it done. And I would end up crowding up my schedule. And so I'd have to stay late to finish my notes. And then the next day I would be exhausted. So I'd just roll out of bed and go straight to work. And then repeat the process and on my days off i didn't really have the energy to do anything yeah and there was one night that uh is unfortunately burned into my brain i was closing so it was about eight o'clock and there were a couple of assistants that were still there with me and one of them was folding up you know surgery packs had a strange expression on their face and i said you know hey are you okay and they said yeah i'm fine and then when we left that night that was the last time any of us ever saw that assistant alive that assistant had uh, died from 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 suicide died from depression mm-hmm. and none of us really i mean looking back there were warning signs but none of us really picked up on it yeah. so that was that was hard for everybody and that kind of made everybody in the practice kind of rethink our work life balance and our our mental wellness. You know, after that we we got, you know, company insurance for everybody and more time off and things like that. But that it was a unfortunate time for everybody. Gosh.
0: I'm so sorry that you had that experience. I hate to to hear stories about losing, you know, our colleagues um because it mm-hmm. it seems like it's just so common. I love that you guys responded to that by sort of changing the way that you uh, were operating in the clinic and that sort of thing to try to help ease that stress um, because you can't keep losing people.
2: Yeah. And a couple months later is when my anxiety kind of came to a peak. And there was one day that I showed up to work having more or less a panic attack and I couldn't get to stop and I was just crying. And my office manager and my boss moved my full schedule over to everybody else and said, go get help. And so I called the mental health hotline on my insurance card. And of course, they they were worried that I was suicidal. (laughs) I was like, no, I'm just having this crying attack that I can't stop. But they still, you know, had to have an officer come check on me and everything. And I got in with a counselor that same day and got started on psychiatric care psychiatric medications and um have a bit of a a opposite than expected response usually sertraline makes people energetic and i get very grub uh so i was you know zombie sarah for two weeks but zombie sarah is better than panic attack sarah so (laughs) but i you know i did kind of behavioral uh, modification therapy kind of training my brain to to reroute my thoughts and and not let you know not go down the downward spiral. And I'm still seeing a counselor. I still get the physical side effects of quite a few things. Mm -hmm. (laughs) When I was on board study leave, I I had heart palpitations. Even though I didn't even though I didn't feel that, you know, I was like, I'm not that anxious. Like what what's wrong with me? We think I have a bit of a trauma compartmentalization from some bad experiences as a child. So I compartmentalize everything, but my body still feels it. Yeah, <laughs> which would explain why all of a sudden I just started crying and having this panic attack for seemingly no reason, even though obviously the anxiety had been building for a while. Sure, um, but you know that's. I feel like if I talk about these things, I'm very open about talking about all this. Then, then people are going to go, "Oh, I'm like that," or "Oh, maybe maybe I should go get some help too." You know, I talk about my GI problems all the time, and it helped one of my friends go to the doctor and figure right. out she has celiac disease because she's like, "Who do you talk to when you have diarrhea all the time?" You know? <laughs> right? Like, yeah. I,
0: I'm, I'm so excited that the younger generations of, of just not even vets, but people in general mm-hmm. are being so much more open about mental health and also just physical health. Mm-hmm. Things that like, yeah, I feel like in like my parents generation and and in older, they just kind of like didn't ever say anything. And we're like, yep. oh, I guess that's just that's just the way I am or whatever. And like, you know.
2: Doesn't have to be that way. You can have really <laughs> terrible
0: things yeah. or like you can get better. And sometimes I hear people say like mental health disorders are so glamorized now, everyone has a diagnosis. And I'm like, no, I disagree. I think that awareness has increased and more mm-hmm. people feel comfortable talking about it. It's not that we're glamorizing mental health issues. It's that we're saying, hey, I fucking have this. And if you yeah. have it, you also need to get treatment for it, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Anyway.
2: And, and we're actually recognizing it more. It's like people, you know, the speculation that, oh, we're getting cancer more. No, we're just living long enough to develop to, to cancer. Yeah. <laughs> I know that
0: there's still somewhat of a stigma if you say, like, I'm feeling really depressed right now or I'm having super, like, really bad anxiety right now and that kind of thing. People sometimes do view you as, like, lazy or just trying to get out of whatever it is or whatever. But, like, I mean, come on, it's not worth dying over, you know? Like,
1: I mean. Yeah. I remember having this big fear of, like, does this mean that I'm going to be committed? This mean that I am like, I'm, um, I'm, um, this is mean, i you know, lack of a better word that I don't really like using, but am I crazy?
0: Am You're I, talking about when you started having panic attacks? Yeah.
1: I mean, the little ones that I had were like, I'm like, okay, I don't know what that was. It was short. I, I don't know what that, but they got worse and worse and worse. And then kind of similarly, similarly, can't talk today. I had one that just wouldn't shut off. It just kept mm-hmm. going and going. And it was like, I just remember sitting in the car and I am i was not one that was late for work. I was not one that didn't just show up or did not show up. And every time that phone rang, because they were calling, where are you? What, what's going on? Are you on the side of the road somewhere broke down? Or did you have a wreck? What's happening? Every time that phone started ringing, it would trigger it to start all over again. I mean, mm-hmm. I sat in that parking lot for probably 30 minutes before I could even like get myself together enough to call my husband to like please come get me. I don't know what's happening. And it, I mean, I, I just was like, okay, I finally lost control over my person. I can't mm-hmm. stop this. And I can't talk myself out of it. I can't, there's no bootstraps to pull up. <laughs> they're, they're gone. So what do I do now? But that's, you don't want to get to that point. And mm-hmm. that's the, the hard part, but also the whole, like, you know, knowing what I know now, I'm that my response to that was because I was not taking care of myself and I was not, there was no work-life balance. There was, you know, get in there and try to do everything that's expected of me and not take care of anything that I should have been taking care of and ignoring it for years and years. And it finally was just like, all right, you're not going to do anything to help yourself. Then your, yourself is going to going to go into mutiny.
2: If you don't make time for yourself, your body will make time. <laughs> yeah. That's you don't true. have a
1: choice in that matter. You think you mm-hmm. do, but you don't. Mm-hmm.
0: So Dr. LaRoche, looking back, what what's advice that you would give to your younger self, either in veterinary school or as a
2: young veterinarian? I think I would tell myself to take the counseling more seriously because you have it a lot worse than you think. By that, do you mean
0: veterinary school is very difficult and you shouldn't downplay it? or
2: do That and just my mental health in general, you know, I it's see. like, you know, whatever, just brush it off. It's fun. I got that's, you. That's kind of my ironic mo- motto now is it's fine. It's fine. You know, fine. when everything's the proverbial feces is a right. ceiling fan. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's fine. Flames <laughs> everywhere. This is fine. <laughs> because it's not. You know, I, I went through a lot as a kid, you know, when I was a teenager, my, my dad passed away unexpectedly and that is probably where the trauma compartmentalization started, where I just wouldn't allow myself to feel things. Cause you don't have time for that. You've got to be answering the phone. You've, you've got to talk to all these middle-aged guys that are crying their eyes out. You know, you, you got to keep your grades up so you can go to school and get a full ride and, and be this veterinarian that you want to be. You don't have time for this. You don't have time for your feelings. Yeah. You got to make time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you absolutely do. Ended up paying for it physically because now I get heart
1: palpitations when I have anxiety. <laughs> and it's kind of weird that the ways it comes out, how you can sit there and think, you know, I don't really think I'm that anxious, but why do I need to go hit the inhaler right now? Because I feel like I can't breathe. My most stressed out. Anxiety-ridden time in my career, I ended up getting like I had the flu and strep at the same time twice, and then yeah. separately, all in the same year, got shingles, and I was in my thirties, and I'm like, "This is not is my is, where is my immune system?" But it was I wasn't taking care of. It. Mm-hmm.
2: I had a uh, gastrointestinal manifestations of my anxiety. I would go puke in the sink almost every morning at work. Oh, it's not normal. It's, no. not normal. it's not normal.
0: No, if you're vomiting between patients every morning like that's, <laughs> that's not normal. But, I, but but look, I I know so many veterinarians that would just be like, "Oh, it's just the way it is." Like yeah. <laughs> like this. I can't I don't have time to get this handled. I got to fix all my patients. Like, uh, no. Yeah.
2: No. That emergency no. button rings, you yeah yeah, <laughs> pull yourself up by your I hate that yeah, me bootstraps. Too. You can't pull yourself up by your bootstrap. That's not how gravity works. Pull yourself <laughs> up by your
0: stethoscope and let's go.
2: <laughs> you can go puke in the trash can next to the dying patient. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. There's
0: a trash can right in the treatment area. You'll be, you know, you're fine.
2: But I mean, I, I dropped 30 pounds that first year of practice. Oh, my God. Most people, most people gain weight. um I actually dropped weight pretty quickly um because yes. I didn't That's keep anything probably. down. And when I did, it went straight through me. So that's a uh, that's another manifestation of anxiety
0: yeah, absolutely, yes <laughs> yes, weight fluctuations, not just weight gain, but weight loss too, you're absolutely right
2: mm-hmm.
0: and and one and I think that unfortunately, just because of societal pressures and things like that, veterinarians might not take weight loss as seriously as they take weight gain, um, mm-hmm. but it is if you're you know if you're just accidentally losing weight, just like if you were a cat accidentally losing weight, like that's a big deal. We got to get it fixed.
2: I also had a terrible vitamin D deficiency. which oh, is, no! Which is ironic because I lived in Las Vegas. Um, oh, you had sunshine, yeah. <laughs> the my doctor told me that it was actually pretty common uh, mm-hmm. because people that live in Las Vegas are very cognizant about the sunlight and wear long sleeves and hats oh, and sunscreen. Yeah,
0: you're sad all and, the time. And,
2: yeah, yeah, and and yeah, the the, the normal number that you're supposed to get back on your report is between 30 and 100 and mine was yeah. seven
0: <laughs> damn that's big i mean look that vitamin d deficiency is serious
2: like it yeah, is it's, it's part of the like lethargy panel that they run when you have all the physical symptoms of depression wow. and that yeah I, I mean obviously it's not gonna you know be a magic fix for anything but you you will have more energy when you get that sure rest
1: yeah, yeah i've experienced that i know what you mean so after talking about all these fun things that you guys experienced in, in vet school veterinary medicine in general what changes would you like to see the changes that i would like to see are
2: a bit of a, a tall order but that's <laughs> I, <spare>. right? <laughs> I i would want to see a shift in the perception that the general public has about veterinary medicine you know i don't think people realize that you know you're a you're a small business, you know, you You can't just give away things all day or you won't have any employees. You know, you won't be able to, I mean, the overhead cost of the clinic that I worked at was about, what, 80 cupcakes a day. And people would say, I keep this place open. I'm like, no, you gave me one cupcake no. today.
0: Yeah, you, you keep us in paper towels, man. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Paper towels for the week is what
2: you just got us. Making people more aware of how much healthcare actually costs for your pets and there are pet insurances available now that you can get i'll go ahead and say i i as a veterinarian even with all my discounts and doing a lot of this myself i have spent over a what is it a hundred cupcakes on my cat pumpkin sure (laughs) and that's Mm -hmm. with me getting a lot of free stuff and doing all the procedures myself we have nothing against you when you don't have the cupcakes but don't take it out on us those were the the cases that i really struggled with the people that were just disrespectful and would scream at you and one of my biggest pet peeves was when people would be disrespectful to the front desk staff and then I would talk to them and oh hi Dr. LaRoche how are you you know that what makes you think that it's okay for you to treat my staff like that you know and then come in here all bubbly and act like everything is fine with me do you think you're better than my front desk staff like <laughs> it's so stressful. Yeah.
1: It is. <laughs>
0: yeah, and I know JJ has talked about that before, like how mm-hmm. people treat the the front desk staff differently, or and and the technicians differently than they treat the doctors. Mm-hmm. And it, but even even some clients are really rude to everyone. You know, mm-hmm. I I go back and forth on this honestly because there are groups out there who kind of. A, will intermittently go on these like social media campaigns to try to encourage pet owners to behave better at the mm-hmm. vet, right? Like you'll see that come across social media, like, you know, here, here's my situation. Here's what being a vet's really like, like, please remember to, you know, treat your veterinary staff humanely and that kind of thing. And mm-hmm. I, I don't think that there's anything wrong with making those statements. I do question though, how, effective that will be just because it's like controlling other people's behavior is very difficult Mm -hmm. what to maybe impossible Mm -hmm. and so although i don't think that those are bad or harmful campaigns i do question whether they're gonna really do anything like i think the people that would read that and respond to it are probably the same people that are like decently acting most of the time (laughs) and i worry Mm -hmm. that the people that are like really rude or the people that would be like, I'll talk to you however the bag I want, you know, or whatever.
1: I can agree with that. Yeah. I'm just glad to hear that, you know, you are supportive, you're supportive of the staff. That's not always been my experience, especially whenever you have the different behaving clients that are one way to you. And then as a staff member, and then you get into the exam room and they're all like super friendly. Sometimes there's like, well, I don't really believe you. They were fine with me. And that makes it that much worse because then you just feel like, okay, well, I don't have any support. I just have to deal with it. And there's just certain things you just don't have to deal with in life. And I mean, you're you're there trying, you know, trying to help people. You're trying to help their animals. And it's definitely very eye-opening because the thing that I learned was that there's different levels because, I mean, as a technician, I definitely recognize that, you know, we were sometimes treated differently, but when you're a front desk staff member, possibly even if you're a kennel kennel employee, there's even worse that happens that I wasn't aware of until I started working at the front desk. And I'm like, wow, I didn't know it could get worse. (laughs) This is great. But knowing that, you know, it's very nice when there's people that are supportive and just like, you know what? I'm not going to tolerate that you don't you don't get to talk to my staff members that way it It does make you feel supported and it's going to make you want to stay at that clinic longer. That's for sure, mm-hmm.
0: yeah. One thing that I've really appreciated when I have been in situations with clients that were behaving really in an uncool way was when management stepped in and was like, You can behave in an uncool way at some other veterinary hospital, but not not here by, you know. Mm-hmm so i I think um I think that's been the thing that has stuck out to me the most when I think about those times when I've had people come in and be very unreasonable. Mm-hmm. I appreciated it a lot when management would intervene on behalf and and also when management would also take over because like as an associate or a technician or a staff member, you don't have the say so to be like, "Get the fuck out or." to like fix the essential issue that most people have, which is money related. Like, right. Like Mm -hmm. when I think about the things that people are mad about, it's almost always a money thing. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, well, I can't fix that for you. Like I have literally no say over that. Right. Um, And yet uh, at different places where I was an associate, I would be handed those things to deal with, Mm -hmm. but not have any sort of, true authority to actually handle the situation. And that would make me really frustrated. So like, I'd like to see if you're going to continue to serve these clients that come in and act inappropriately on a a routine basis, then you need an office manager on staff to deal with it or the head boss person needs to be there to deal with it. Like, you don't need to be dumping that on an associate to deal with, Mm -hmm. I think. And if you, as a manager, don't want to have to deal with someone,
2: why do you keep them around? (laughs) There there was one client that me and another associate ended up firing, so to speak. Yeah. Screaming on the phone to one of our receptionists and screaming at me and then screaming at one of the other associates. And we said, okay, you know, through the screaming, we said, let us know where to set your records. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and we yeah. went, you know, we thought we were gonna get reprimanded. We went and told our boss and he was like, Oh good, I hated him. <laughs> <laughs> Who knew it would be that easy?
1: <laughs> I know one of the most like liberating things was one of the office managers that I worked for. I'd just gotten off the phone with somebody. I mean, I'd probably be I stayed on their phone with them for five to seven minutes and just took it and you know i got off the phone and i'm just like oh god and uh after i explained what happened she's like no if if they start doing that stuff hang up i don't want you to have to do that And i'm like mm-hmm. bless you and that was probably within the last year i was there probably about three or four different times that i did that mm-hmm. like
0: yep. i'm not click
1: <laughs> yeah i don't i don't have to do this i don't i don't i don't have to put up with this this is wonderful and you know i Did a write-up of every single thing that happened and put it in the record and talked to the office manager about it. And every single time she's like, I would have done the same thing. Uh stand Mm -hmm. behind you on that. And I'm like, thank you. That's good. So nice.
2: Something I don't think a lot of disrespectful clients realize is that we we document our interactions. So when you when we send your records to the new place, they're gonna see that yep. you got fired.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I, was I was excited. some of those records and I'm like, oh boy. <laughs> <laughs>
2: this
1: is really fun.
2: Yep. The uh, teaching hospital that I'm at right now, when I went downstairs to pay for Pumpkin's bill, there was a, a sign at the, the financial area that said, physical or verbal abuse of our staff will not be tolerated, which is sad that they have to put that next yeah. to it. Yeah,
0: sad that you need such a sign, mm-hmm. but... I truly have thought about this a lot. And I think that in people's everyday life, like just your average person, they feel like they're not in control of most of it, right? Like they go to Mm -hmm. most people go to work. They have a boss that tells them what to do. They have financial responsibilities in their home. You know, it might be that in the course of their day. The veterinary receptionist or whoever they enter like run into and, and get a sliver of bad news from that might be the first person all day that they've encountered that they feel like they're quote above, and then it's kind of like, well, it's easy to punch down right um that's the only thing I can think of because it's like some of the stuff that people get mad about i'm like, "Whoa, <laughs> I feel like this is not about the ten dollars, ma'am. I yeah. feel like this might." We might be having some transference from something else that happened today, potentially. Like,
2: maybe we and the $10 see
0: was maybe the last draw.
2: Maybe we should go see a counselor. No, I've had yeah. some clients come back and apologize for the way that they behaved. It makes us feel a lot better when you realize, hey, maybe I shouldn't have treated you this way. Mm-hmm. But, anyway, but at the same time, if I give you bad news, everybody mourns differently. Yeah. Um,
0: so. I feel like I can handle it better, just me personally, when someone is upset because, like, the pet is dead or something. It's the stuff that I perceive as being frivolous, Mm -hmm. where they stomp and man a pitch fit, and I'm like, "Look, I super don't have time for this right now. Like, Mm -hmm. I just can't. I can't even with this right now. Your (laughs) refill in an hour, right? That kind of shit.
1: Yeah. And that was like one of the most common things. I'm like, "Can you go to your? pharmacy and get something in an hour no yeah. man never
2: <laughs> i
1: can you get can't a refill get your...
2: in like three days <laughs> like, Not fucking you can't anymore. get your broken leg seen until next thursday like, <laughs> right. that's exactly I'll have right it plated by tomorrow <laughs> that is exactly right
0: well dr laroche thank you so much for joining us again today we really appreciate it
2: yeah, yeah sure. thanks for having me you guys i, I hope you enjoyed my my talks my sarah as they're called. <laughs>
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> it's great to see you again.
2: Well, if you have
0: stories, questions, cases, or anything else you'd like for us to read, please send it to Podcast at gmail.com.
1: You can find us on social media.
0: We're on Facebook and Instagram, and we're at introvets. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. It really does help. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye-bye.